Welcome to crappy sound quality. Sorry, everybody, but um, a certain lanky, red-headed member of our twosome has forgotten to bring the microphones. Sorry. So once again, we're in a dunny while she puts makeup on. <laughs> it's, we're just discussing the only time we ever talk, basically, is on stage or in sort of locales. There's like a whole lot of really filthy, intimate things I need to ask you, but <laughs> I haven't found the time or the opportunity for about a year. Dear me. Hello, straw cream, my old friend. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder just... if there's any way we can correlate the sales of strobe cream in Australia um, against the times in our um, podcast when yeah. we actually mentioned the yeah. use of yeah. it. Once I can be asked to even care about strobe cream. I'm sure I'll look deeply into that question. Oh, that's what's wrong with you. When you came in, I went, what is wrong with her? No strobe cream. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm lamentably uncontoured, actually. This is not a very forgiving light. So we are in a hotel room yep. in Canberra because we're about to do something together at the Canberra Writers Festival. That's right. We're about to have a a, a, a rambling go nowhere conversation on stage. <laughs> and just think, you're getting a rambling go and go nowhere conversation first. There's actually going to be no overlap either, which is quite impressive. Yeah, yeah. let's see if limited we can overlap. overlap. Yeah. Um, so the thing that most excites me that I know that you've been doing since last we last spoke <laughs> is that you've become addicted to the American. It's the most shameful development in my <laughs> life, really. After you know a year of just relentlessly shit canning you about your lame <laughs> obsession with the Americans, I now have an unscratchable obsession. I'm deep into series three, <laughs> and I routinely get to you know Jeremy. I get to like eleven o'clock. We're like. It's just dial up one more. And um, it's so, so tense what you now like that I just it. want to vomit the whole time. <laughs> oh, it's just <laughs> shocking, isn't it? I know. By the time it gets to season five, I, like I got to a point where it was just so tense, I felt like I just actually don't know if I can keep watching this, even though I love it, because my sense yeah. of dread and impending doom was just, oh my god. The great thing is too that um, I got this invitation the other day to go and um, do a talk at ASIO. Oh, I know, and I'm just like, right, what wig am I going to wear? Like forgetting <laughs> that you know, full disguise will not be required. But um, 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 that can might... you just pump them for information about people who live secretly undercover? And have any Australians ever done it? Well, I mean, I assume so. I mean, well, I don't know. Where have I guess gone. Uh, China. I don't know China. Yeah, Russia. really stand out in China, though, unfortunately. Like, you know, in, in, Blend in like um, that, that, that would have been a good disguise in you know um, the case of a sizable chunk of Asia's population. Um, Just in case for anyone who hasn't you know yeah. listened to this podcast um, before, um, the Americans is in a television show about some undercover operatives living in Washington D.C. in the 1980s at the height Russian, of the Cold War. Yeah, they're living as an American family. They've had children in America. But they are um, secret. Um, well, they're, they're more than spies. They're just they're full assassins, assassins and um, I don't, I'm constantly worried about their children because they're always getting into really, really complicated disguises, unusually fast. I mean, like it's taking you a really long time just to make yourself up as Lee Sales. Imagine if you were like trying to make yourself up as me. Annabelle Crab. I know. Hours, hours. All that haggard paint on. (laughs) The fright wing. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, so, and they, their cover is that they run a travel agency. What their children must think of the fact that they're slipping around, coming home with bullet wounds and, you know. Well, um. It was terrifying to see them like where they did a home dental extraction. Which reminded me of you because you, of course, 
had when I studied home dental extraction. You did? Yeah, I did. When mm. I was probably shared this, this on the podcast before, before I went to Washington as a foreign correspondent, you had to do a training course about what would happen if you were in a remote location and you had a medical emergency. And so you had to learn various things, one of which was how to extract a tooth if you had a colleague with an abscess tooth. Oh. <laughs> And yeah, so you, you, you left with, I had like given to me a home dental kit with like a pair of pliers and various things like that. Luckily in Washington, the gravest danger I faced was a dodgy oyster at the National Press Club. <laughs> um, now, uh, what else have you been reading or watching or doing? Um, actually, just this morning as I was, um, I'm here doing some filming because we're doing a um, documentary about Parliament House and um, oh. I was walking um, on a beautiful... Canberra sunny morning into Parliament House and I was listening to a new podcast. Oh yeah. And um well it's um it's a uh, podcast by Malcolm Gladwell. Oh, a yeah. <laughs> New York writer, a yeah. New Yorker writer who's also the author of millions of great books, well, not millions, several. Um there's The Tipping Point which is his sort of I guess mm -hmm. breakthrough classic mm -hmm. um which is still just such a fabulous book to read. Um he's he's really in interested in human behaviour and it's just got a real eye for, for the fascinating. Yeah. He wrote another one called Blink, which is about the power of instant decision-making. Um, anyway, he's got this new podcast called Revisionist History. Now, mm. I actually think it started back in June. I missed it because of election yeah, shenanigans. Yeah. yeah. So it's um, the first season is 10 episodes where he goes back and looks at a historical event and tells the story, but with the benefit of hindsight. Oh, yeah. So there's all these sort of historical events that seemed one way at the time, but when you look back, you see new things about them. Right. And he, um, the first one, which is the one that I was listening to on my walk this morning, um, is about a, a, a woman artist who was the first artist to be hung in the Royal Academy exhibition in London. Right. Now, the Royal Academy is this incredibly elite group of artists. If you're if you're elected to the academy, it means you've kind of made right. it as an artist. And um, they, they had never had a woman in the academy. And in 1875, this woman, Elizabeth Thompson, um, painted this extraordinary picture. She was um, 20 years old. Wow. This um, military picture. Um, and she was hung in this exhibition, the first woman ever. Right. Um, and in 1820, did you say? In 1875. Oh, I just said yeah. Anyway, there was, it was... It was absolutely sensational because mm -hmm. you know they'd never had a woman um, in this exhibition before and not only was she hung in this exhibition but front and center in this sort of incredibly prominent place mm -hmm. and it was a huge crush like thousands and of postcards of this painting were printed she was a celebrity you know mm -hmm. and it was um, speculated that she would become the first woman to be elected to membership of the Royal Academy right and in fact um, that didn't happen at all. She, she narrowly lost the vote by two votes. Right. And everybody thought, well, this is the Academy opening its doors to women, like she'll get in next year and, you know. Actually, she disappeared almost without trace. She's not really well known at all today. Mm. Um, she, um, after being this sort of unbankable celebrity for a year or two, mm. um, the Royal Academy just shut its doors to her. Wow. Um, she was never put up for membership again. <sighs> and she got married had six children um, she married a military man right. who and this is the most heartbreaking part of this story it's so bizarre when he wrote his official memoir um, he didn't even mention her in his book <laughs> his memoir of his life he didn't mention her it was all about his career and the fact that he's married to this like 
spectacular. <laughs> I know, right? She had, did you say she had six children? Yeah. They weren't mentioned either. <laughs> you just want to punch that guy. I know. Oh. But anyway, so the, this whole... He tells the story of this woman. Right. As an introduction to talking about this theory, which is not his theory, he's kind of learned about it somewhere else, um, called um, uh, moral licence. Right. Which is the... Um, capacity of groups to um, open their doors to one outsider or um, individual. Oh, I see. And, and then, then they know job's done. Yep, that's right. Oh, right. Where one act of, um, you know, doing a, a good thing morally entitles you to then be a shit. You so, know? see, we've had a female prime minister. There's no issue for women in politics. But that's the thing. That's yeah. what Malcolm Gladwell does. Right. He segues from this artist to Julia Gillard. Oh. I know, yeah. I think, like, knock and glad. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. So he then goes on to talk about, unfortunately, he pronounces her name Gillard (laughs) throughout. No, Gillard. He does Gillard, Gillard. which is very destructive. But anyway. Anyway, so he says, once you've seen one Elizabeth Thompson, this artist, he says, you see her everywhere. Wow. And he's been interested in this woman and what happened to her. Mm. And he's sort of extrapolated her experience to... What happens when groups seemingly open their doors to a, right. like a minority or whatever, but then um, use it as a kind of a license to just, oh, oh that, that job's done. So, for instance, when she nearly missed out on membership of the Royal Academy by two votes, um, they got together, the Royal Academy, and drafted this whole new set of rules of restrictions on prospective female members. Oh. But they, they they then didn't have any for another 50 years or something. Anyway... But he, he interviews um, Julia Gillard as well. Oh, wow. And so um, he's using this theory to kind of re-examine this extraordinary thing that happened in the 1870s and then was kind of forgotten about. So but is every week, is the episode a different thing like that? Or yeah. Is the whole thing examples of that theory? No, no, no. Right. Everything's a different... Every, oh, every week's a different thing. So I'm just thrilled because there's nine more episodes in this series and I've only just found it. So oh, awesome. That's also, I really, like Malcolm, I really like Malcolm Gladwell. I like so, him too. Funnily enough, I've also been listening to a couple of podcasts, one of which is also about um, history, American mm. history. It's a bit more lowbrow than that. It's called The Dollop. Have you heard of it? No. So um, it's two guys who are both comedians. One of them tells a story, a little-known story from American history, and the other guy just basically makes smart-ass interjections. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my God. It's so funny. The the episode that you need to just... There's a lot of episodes. The one you need to go and find is called Rube, R-U-B-E, which is about a little-known American baseballer. I I was just... I know nothing. I'm not very interested in baseball, but I was just... crying with laughter. No way. It's so funny. And there's also another great one, I think it's called FedEx, which is about a FedEx flight on which something went just horrifyingly wrong. And the guy who makes the smart... They're both pretty funny, but the guy who makes the smart-ass interjections is just absolutely hilarious. And so it's just... The story itself is always really interesting because it's some bizarre little thing you've never heard of. And then the interjections just make it funnier. Um, speaking of interjections, I'm also listening to another podcast called My Dad wrote a porno about this no so this is a guy this is three brits what the main guy whose dad wrote a porno he's reading the porno that his dad wrote aloud chapter by chapter week by week and wow that's a long way from flora's fancy (laughs) 
and he has two friends who just basically poke fun at it the entire time. And it is also just barkingly funny. I've been on so Does many that buttons. sustain? Like, how many episodes of well, that I, can you I listen st- to before it I started it because a friend recommended it, and whose taste I really like. And I, rec- I started it, and I thought... I don't know about this because it's just bad writing and these people, they're sort of funny, they've got really great chemistry. But the effect of it is almost like the more episodes you listen to, the funnier it gets. It's like you're getting drunk on it or something and so then by episode five you're just hysterical. (laughs) Um, I'm just like all the time laughing aloud on public transport and trying... And also these terrible lines come out of nowhere so you literally just go... (laughs) to Get yourself back under control. But yeah, it is very, very... Um, oh, that's so money. good. I'll listen to both of those. Have you ever, have you ever um, watched Drunk History? Yeah, I have. <laughs> I do find that funny, even though part of me thinks, no, I shouldn't be laughing at this. Oh, you're so ABC. Of alcohol. Um, but yeah, I find that funny. Do you find it funny? I love Drunk History. <laughs> it's this, um, oh, look, it's old now, um, but it's um, an online um, series. Uh, it was never on TV anywhere, was it? I don't it? think so, I think but so. I'm not sure. I don't know, maybe I've only just seen it on YouTube. But um, they get like a usually a college student and get them really really trolled and get them to then tell a story from american history <laughs> so they're like these undergraduates college kids it's terrible you're quite right it's a shocker <laughs> really but um and the funny thing is that the the pissed person tries enthusiastically to tell this great story from history but uses usually fairly modern parlance and then gets bits of it mixed up. Yeah. And as this person's telling it, you hear the story on audio and they actually get actors to perform the story as being told by this drunk person. So, <laughs> and they'll be famous like and Will, Will Ferrell. Yeah, Will Ferrell's constantly in them and um, Jack Black and people <laughs> like that. And it's so kooky and weird and very, very funny. It truly is yeah. hilarious. I will I will fully agree. Um, hey, I, on my holidays, also read two things that I know you've read. One is Commonwealth by Anne Patchett. Yes, yeah. Um, you, from memory, you liked that, right? Yeah, I loved it. Give us a brief, brief synopsis while I put my lipstick on. Um, it's about um, a, a family of, of stepkids, really, like their um, parents. Um, there's two divorces and the dad of one and the mum of one get together and um, so there's this sort of instant Brady Bunch style family of stepchildren and um, it's about the way they've grown up you know sort of shuttling from house to house and they all grow up with sort of um, vague issues and there's a sort of a terrible thing that's happened at some point and as you get through the book you realise what the terrible thing is and how it came about but it's um, the thing I liked about it is that it it wrote children's characters, she writes the children's characters in when they're quite tiny in such an, a perceptive way, like there's mm. nothing mawkish about it. They, it's, they take, it takes children's emotions really seriously. In that case, in, in that sense, it kind of reminded me a little bit of some of the most sort of spooky and fabulous works of Ian McEwan. You know, he's that British novelist mm. who wrote this terrible, terrible frightening book called The Cement Garden, which is about a, an incestuous relationship between a brother and a sister in a house where the mother has just sort of disappeared um, and, in fact, she's died. It's such a strange, languorous book and it was hugely controversial at the time because of all the themes in it. Mm. But the way that it writes 
about these children's thoughts and interactions, not the sexual ones, but, you know, mm. is, is just really perceptive. And, and right. I liked that element of the Anne Patchett um, novel, Commonwealth, as well. Right. She, um, I'm just going from memory, so I might have this wrong, but she wrote a book that was very successful a number of years ago called Bel Canto. Which I'm now reading. Oh, okay. So my memory is the plot is they're in an ambassador's residence as a famous opera singer. That's right. Going, and they yeah. all get taken hostage. Yes. Yeah. So um, she obviously is drawn to the idea of people thrown together yeah. in a circumstance yeah. from which they can't escape, and then yeah. she explores the dynamics yeah. that um, occur. So that's what, that's... Um, what I would say about Commonwealth, it was a sort of similar thing like that. The same with, so I also read, the other book I read was Leanne Moriarty's book, which Truly Madly Guilty. Yeah. I must say, I kept thinking all the time, hang on, shouldn't it be Truly Madly Guiltily? Yeah, I'm I'm troubled by the title as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah, I was constantly grating my teeth every time I opened it. But I've come to realise... Spider and Angry Leather. I always love that. (laughs) (laughs) She also has a certain... Um, device and style that she uses a lot and which I generally like so mm. I, I don't mind um, it's that there's some secret that's going to get revealed and it's sort of it's almost oh, she never of, gives it away in the first two, no. two or three hundred pages and it can get a bit sort of gnashingly thrash through it yeah and it's annoying because you do absolutely bolt through the book at a certain point it feels like people are talking about something that you're being excluded from yeah. but it is a good sort of plot device because, as you say, it just keeps you going. Yeah, going, she's going, a very going, sticky going. writer. Mm. It, it, she's a real kind of, oh, late for work because I had to finish this chapter yeah, kind it, of thing. Yeah, exactly. But I enjoyed that. I mean, I, I generally like all of her books. Yeah, me too. Right? So. Um, what else? Um, <laughs> I've just been doing lots of things and now that I'm, I see you, I'm all tongue-tied. I, wrote I can tell down. you about something. Oh, oh, yeah, okay. Oh, no, quickly, before we finish with television. Yes. Uh, which we already are, I know, but anyway. No, I've got no more um, television. Yeah. Oh, so, I've been watching Catastrophe. Have you been watching? Oh, no. It's so good. No. Okay. I never so, it's on it. iView. Uh, okay. It's a British series, um, right. and I think it's a six-parter. Right. So, um, so. And they're only half-hour episodes. Oh, okay. So, not too... And it is pant-weddingly funny. The oh. premise is um, this woman called Sharon and a guy called Rob meet at a bar, get pissed, and then fall into bed together right. and they have this kind of brief you know like he's visiting from America he's, he is American she's um, uh, lives in London anyone and, famous? Um, no okay um, yep. and uh, then he goes home again they've, have, they've had a few dates and they get along fine they've got a similar sense of humour and she's pregnant mm. and she's kind of like uh, I don't know maybe late 30s early 40s so and she's like I don't maybe yeah okay I'll have this baby and so the story is of his sort of, he comes back from America and they are suddenly in this weird parenting relationship even though they hardly know each other. Oh, so he moves to the UK. Yeah. Are they a couple or he's just Well, they're working the... that out. Right? Okay, like, right. So they're just, it's awkward, it's sort of prickly, it's the opposite of romantic. It's so funny because it mm. just goes a little bit too far all the time. <laughs> okay, that sounds good. They are brutal to each other. <laughs> like there's nothing particularly, you know, adorable about it, but it's very, very funny. Um, there's this classic moment where he gets off the plane and she's holding this piece of cardboard saying, Rob. And um, he's sort of like, oh, um, hi, should we kiss? I don't know. I got you pregnant, you know. <laughs> and um, he, uh, and she says, God, I just can't, I can't believe, I don't even know what your, your surname is. And he says, it's, it's Morris. My name's Rob Morris. And she just goes, oh, for fuck's sake. <laughs> Her last name is Norris. So oh. it's just this sort of, anyway, it's it's it is one of the funniest things I've seen in some time. It's so oh, it's a okay. bit wrong, right? And um, anyway, there's I think 
um, it, it's going up week by week on iView, so you can um, see it. Oh, it's cool. probably on the television. I don't know. No, um, but I've I'm just only it. watching it on iView. Yeah. Okay, good. I'll look out for it. Another thing that's only six episodes long that I watched on holidays is The Night Manager. Um, it's based on a John Le Carre book. It's only six episodes, as I just said. Excuse me, just being a bit, ugh, I've got a bad cold. Yeah, haven't you? I yeah. thought you sounded a bit nasal last I night did. on the show. I did indeed. Um, the It's Hugh Lawrence. No. Um, Hugh Laurie? Hugh Laurie. Oh, God, sorry. Hugh Laurie, the legendary Hugh Laurie, plays a billionaire philanthropist who actually is secretly an arms dealer. Oh, right. And so um, Tom Hiddleston, Mr. Taylor Swift oh, currently. Oh, God. <laughs> plays... I'm, I'm watching it already. <laughs> He's such a babe. He plays the night manager. He works in various luxury hotels around the world, and so he keeps seeing oh. Hugh Laurie showing up at places. Um, and so he gets recruited by MI6 to oh, basically infiltrate cool. Hugh Laurie's world. And, it look, it's just absolutely fabulous in every way. I loved all the location and all of the rest of it. Um, and, and an Australian woman called Elizabeth Debicki plays Hugh Oh, yeah, she was in, um, in Gatsby. Gatsby. Yeah. yeah. An incredibly striking woman. She's about that, six foot two yeah. or something. Um, I saw it at a theatre premiere once and she was like, yeah. Head above everybody else, I'm like, oh my god, that's just like a, a beauty statue. I would imagine if she walked into a room, the whole room would just stop speaking. Yeah. She's pretty extraordinary. Um, and so it follows um, Tom Hiddleston's infiltration of the group and then, you know, what happens from there. It was just incredibly absorbing. It was one of those things where I was staying. What is that interruption? Hang on a second. I've got an investigation. Okay, hang on. I'll get my friends at ASIO. <laughs> I'll just pause. Um, Sorry, everyone, I forgot to hang my phone up and it was beeping at me. Um, it's all right, I've diffused the situation. <laughs> um, it was super absorbing. Like, I was staying at my, I was going to say, I was staying at my parents' place and it was like, oh, yeah, great mum and dad. Oh, oh, is that the time? I'm really tired because I just wanted to go to bed and, like, knock over another quick episode of it. Um, so, yeah, highly recommend that. And I also watched another thing on telly, which, again, is old, I think, and I've only come to it because there were two seasons of it, of three episodes each. Black Mirror, Charlie Brooker's series that he wrote, the British... Oh, I um, love Charlie Brooker. I haven't seen Black Mirror. It was pretty good. It reminded me of The Twilight Zone in that yeah. there's no through line. <laughs> Every episode's self-contained. And the premise of it is basically taking current technology to the nth degree. Right, okay. Um, so, for example, um, instead of having our iPhones where we record things, one episode is a guy who's having a job interview and he comes home and he wants to talk about it and so he has a device and he's head and you can just replay it and go oh I think that they thought I was a bit of a dickhead because this and that happened and your partner goes well just show me and you sort of put it on the tv and and show and then so all of the issues that ensue from when you can go back to any actual moment of your life and replay every single thing about it god that's like my nightmare yeah and there's other like just amazing um you know uh there's a one as well I'm not giving anything away because this is revealed this was the first episode and it got the most attention but in the opening second, somebody has taken the equivalent of Princess Kate, Kate Middleton, mm. hostage, and they've put up on YouTube a ransom demand from her. She's bawling, bawling. She's going to be killed unless the Prime Minister has sex with a pig on live television. Well, luckily the British Prime Minister's already done that, so... <laughs> so Allegedly. And then it just follows, you know, how the way technology sort of runs away with it and blah, 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 blah. Anyway, it was the most incredibly interesting show and extremely, like The Twilight Zone, really... It was horror... 
but not horror like you know axe murders and stuff. Horror in just yeah, like psychological of horror. Sweet dreams. <laughs> yeah. way. I'm never watching it. And everything was basically believable. Like another one, the premise was the girl's partner dies, and then you can basically get um, because we've all got so much material on our phones and social media and all the rest of it. They can now sort of read all of your emails and and everything and do a pretty convincing impersonation. Oh of you God! So that I'm I could send you an this. email <laughs> or or oh, ring you no. even if I pay extra, they'll get your voice happening and then I can ring you and say hey you know blah 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 and you'll say the type of thing that you would actually say okay that just creeps me out oh, it's, it was creepy as it was yeah. creepy as but it was just brilliantly inventive and creative and I thought extremely well done and I just read the other day there's another series of it coming but yeah it was I did I enjoyed it but I did sort of have to gird myself every time when I was watching it wow mm. do you think you know if someone you loved was, you know, had two years to live. Mm-hmm. Would you pop them in a program to have some computer learn their um, algorithm so that you could continue to be nagged by uh, <laughs> Brendan, even post-mortem? That's right, he'd be ringing me, hi, it's Brendan <laughs> yeah. from, from the grave. You, you forgot to plug the podcast. Speaking of which, follow us on iTunes, leave a review. You can visit our website at www.chat10looks3.com. Well, having now seen this television show and what ensues, no, I wouldn't do that. <laughs> oh, right, good. Oh, yeah. God, never going to watch it, but uh, glad to know of it so that I can avoid it. Um, so, um, what else? I, oh, I read something really funny and interesting on the internet the other day. Yeah. Um, by this uh, American um, comedian called Sarah Benincasa. Yeah. I don't know how to pronounce her name. I've never heard of her. But she wrote this funny piece um, called Why Am I So Fat? Right. And it's a letter of reply to a guy who's written to her, like, I don't know, after she wrote some column or something, just saying, hey, you put on heaps of weight. How'd that happen? <laughs> and so she's just written this very funny, but kind of like quite, you know, upfront right. story of what's happened to her and why she's got fat. <laughs> just and what like, was it? What, what's happened? What's... A whole bunch of shit. Right. And why did she reply? I don't know. I've got so it, many questions. It just um, kind of tipped her over the edge and away she went and wrote this very funny, okay, very funny piece. But it's that. so, it's great because it's actually really joyous and right. it's, it's taking kind of a really unpleasant sort of incident, I suppose, and turned it into this triumph like I, I it was quite an exhilarating piece of oh, writing that's great yeah. I look forward to yeah, that. it's not very long it's not very long um hey I saw I had to interview Renee Zellweger this week Colin! and I went to see Bridget Jones diary right, okay. Bridget Jones baby I think it's called um is she happy about like um about about sparking this entire meme on the internet about actresses who have interviewed with their faces no, I don't think I want to sit is. her and everybody from Friends down and have a talk to them about that. Yeah, I'll come to that in a second. I'll just, first of all, give my verdict on the film. Um, it was... hundred bucks if you walked in and just said, oh, I'm, I'm looking for Mazel Zellweger. <laughs> oh, oh, God, sorry, I didn't recognise you. Hugh Grant, apparently. Yeah, they put some photos up on telly and he said, I've never seen that woman before in my life. Um, so the film, if you were a fan of the first film and the second film, did you like them, Bridget Jones' Diary? Not especially. Okay. I didn't mind them. Partially because I love Hugh Grant. Um, oh, God, we've got to talk about that. Well, I, uh, frankly, I always found it mystifying that you would pass up Hugh Grant for Colin Firth because Colin Firth uh, uh, in the uh, film uh, uh, is uh. the most humorless bore imaginable. No, I'm in the other camp. Really? 
I've personally been stuck in a toilet with Colin Firth, so I feel like we've got a special connection. Clang! Amazing clang. I yeah. told me that story before, but remind I me. I have. What is it? I tell you every day and you keep forgetting. You refuse to be impressed by the crumbs of celebrity acquaintance that I have because you're just turning away Zellweggers and bloody Harrison Fords every day of the week. What was um, the... Well, look, it wasn't... I, I may have suggested a level of intimacy that that, that, that did not occur, but I was I was in a I was in a club in Soho. I really was. Um, right. I was there with a friend of mine, and um, there was a, a small group of us. And it was a club called Milk and Honey. Right. And it was very cool. Like this is you know some time ago when I could actually go to a club, and I lived in London. Um, how did I, I don't even see when I could actually a from be a suburban housewife. Yeah, exactly. But I'd never get in. Anyway. Um, and uh, I was really busting for a wee. And it was, they did one of those sort of like kooky, charming, intensely annoying things where instead of labelling the toilets Ugh. men and women, milk and honey, if you please. Ah. Right, okay, so... I'm thinking honey's the women. Yeah, okay. What, mm-hmm. would, you, what would you go with? That's what I would go with too. Right. But Colin Not Firth so much Colin <laughs> Firth as it turns out. So I walk in... I'm watching this guy, and he's he's got that kind of uncertain look of someone who's still looking at the toilets as well. And I see him heading off towards milk. Right. And I think, okay, yep, that absolutely accords with my best guess as to which I am. Right. And so I just sort of tentatively went, went into honey. And there's Colin Firth. In honey. Yep, he's, he's oh. in honey. Oh, I thought... His pants the... are still on, but he's just... He's looking around, and he's clearly just thinking, because there's, like, lady stuff in there. It's, it's a very ladyish, you know, and he's... Clearly just thinking, oh, all right. Uh, and I then burst in. Oh. And it's the perfect situation because Colin Firth is frightened and he wants to leave <laughs> and I'm standing in the door. So I have the power in this situation. And did you exchange any words? I did. I was so cool because I didn't did you do, say? oh, my God, Colin Firth, who I think is very handsome. I just said, oh, Hello. <laughs> it was really smooth. And he just said, and I'm I'm not making this up, he said, Oh God, I've just made an incredible ass of myself, haven't I? <laughs> and I said, oh, I'm not sure about the door. Sorry, somebody rang me right at a critical bit. So he said, I've made a terrible ass of myself. And you uh, said... Yeah. And I just held up my end of the conversation for a bit. And, um, you know, and then I eventually let him escape. But he was, you know, terrified. He was but... probably thinking, God, I'm stuck in the women's toilets with this woman. Well, crazy I was quite thrilled, you know. Uh, I thought I'd held up my end of the conversation rather well. Anyway, so I let him escape. And then I went back to my friends and said, oh, my God, I've just been stuck in this toilet with... Well, I wasn't stuck. He was stuck. Um, and my friend Jo, who is appalling, as I got to the end of my story, picked up her phone and rang her mother and told the whole story to her but in, inserting herself in my... Oh. <laughs> Shocking. And then, like... She didn't even, not a word of explanation. She's just That's told, oh, yarn. And I'm like, I cannot believe that you're doing this. That is so hilarious. She hangs up and she says, oh, sorry, Crab. Mum's a huge, huge, um, <laughs> huge concert That's fan. hilarious. Hey, yeah. where'd you at an event in yeah, the Middle East? We're so actually Let me late. just quickly that's what that finish this. Um, so the film, if you like the first films, you'll probably like it. One of my complaints with it was Bridget Jones' relatability is she doesn't have her shit together. Now, in this film, she's not only can she not not get a bloke, she's juggling Colin Firth and Dr. McDreamy from Grey's Anatomy. Oh. No Hugh Grant to be seen, black market. Yeah. Right. Mm. Anyway, it was completely fine. I rather enjoyed it. Met Renee Zellweger, as Crab alluded to before, she wrote this essay defending her right to look however she likes after people, when she fronted up yeah. to publicise this film, said she looks weird, she looks like she's had plastic surgery. She In, still says she hasn't though, right? That's right. When she showed up for the interview, she looked 
beautiful. She doesn't look, she looks like she maybe had some filler and some Botox, but she looks gorgeous. She doesn't, there's nothing about it that was weird at all. Um, so that's one thing. Um, the second thing is I had all these sort of tricky questions like, what do you think is more of an indictment on society? The fact that people comment on the appear changing appearances of actresses or the fact that actresses themselves feel the need to have plastic surgery so that they continue to look yeah. youthful. And then as soon as she walked in, she was so adorable and charming and delightful. Every person in the room, in the crew, everyone just fell in love with her. She said hello and she was so to every single person. She was just so funny and delightful. I just threw out every hard question. She she played me like a fiddle. Wow. <laughs> she was I just loved her. She's probably my favorite celebrity interview wow. ever. Isn't that She was just so sweet and nice. I just thought you I just love you and now I'm gonna defend you anytime anyone's ever mean about you. Starting now. <laughs> Starting now. And we've got a dash. Alright. See ya. Bye.